0: Hello and welcome to the Reverend Hunter podcast. This is Tony Jones. I'm the Reverend Hunter, joined as always by the Aaron to my Scott, Brandon.
1: Aaron to your Scott. I don't. Because
0: those were our guests on the podcast. This, oh. <laughs> this episode, because <laughs> it's kind of like Aaron's the sidekick to Scott. Sure, kind of. <laughs> I
1: I totally. I really you.
0: caught you off guard on you, that one.
1: You really did. I'm going through my my memory of like movies and TV shows and comic <laughs> books and you know all that sort of thing.
0: But there you go. I guess that makes sense. <laughs> Aaron and Scott are our guests. But before we get to that, let's hear how the mushroom hunting's been going. It's been
1: going pretty good so far. It's kind of been a nice early season. Um, me and my partner, we uh, we uh, went out around the Twin Cities metro area. I'm never going to give away my secret spots because you can't do that with morel mushroom hunting. Um, but we've we found a decent amount so far, and uh, we've also captured some uh, pheasant backs as well as um some ramps. So, dang, dude, yeah.
0: And have you been cooking them up?
1: Yep, yep, cook them up right away when we get home. Pretty much, just clean okay. them off, let them soak for a little bit, and clean up, then cook them right up. Dude, that's
0: fantastic. Well, yeah. I'm hoping that this weekend maybe you can show me, give me some pointers. Cause I've never other than Chicken of the Woods, which is like the easiest mushroom to pick because it's a huge orange thing that grows on that like side of a dead tree.
1: Yeah. Uh, pheasant backs are along that line too. I think okay. you'd, you'd enjoy those. Those are those it was my first year trying them and they're actually really good. So okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah
0: I'm down to learn
1: yeah um, it's sure. it, it's it's kind of a fun hobby of me and my partner we've been getting into she's really like into morel mushroom hunting it's like our favorite time of year so <laughs> that's cool yeah that's
0: awesome pretty fun how was your weekend how's your week been yeah good i had a buddy in town and we've been um you know he's a, he's a home brewer uh and a big time podcaster i i um i'm on his podcast quite often uh, we did a live podcast episode at Finnegan's Brewery um, downtown fun. as part of a preachers' conference. So that was fun, and uh, but man, been in, I've been in the cities for too long. I I need to get up to the cabin, and so I'm going this weekend, and hopefully see you up there. But uh, gonna launch a couple boats and uh, cut up some trees and work on my book. That's the plan. That's awesome that sounds like a, a really good plan for the week yeah 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 I'm I'm it's what I need and then we really launch into the graduation season after that the following weekend I'm out to Vermont uh, for my daughter's graduation and then three graduations three weekends in a row so gonna be a busy time um, very busy yeah but uh have still have you know uh, already. Got some podcast interviews in the can, so we'll we'll keep the content coming. And uh, you know, this episode, you were there when we recorded it at uh, at Ron Share Productions offices, and it's with Scott and Aaron from The Flush. Scott is the host, Aaron is the cameraman, and they came with me uh, on a hunt that I've talked about with you. And, and probably mentioned in a couple of my interviews too, uh, a, a mid to late January pheasant hunt that was very challenging. I mean, I think Scott says in the course of our conversation that it's one of the most physically challenging hunts he's ever been on in his life. And he's been on a lot of hunts. I know? think
1: he even said top three, if I'm not
0: mistaken. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, that's how hard it was. And they're putting the episode together right now. So I thought it would be, Pretty fascinating. Scott's been on before um, and talked kind of about his journey and and you know into buying this production company and producing uh, TV and podcast content around hunting and fishing and stuff outdoors life. But I thought it'd be fun to get them on to talk about the process of creating a, a twenty two minute television show based on our hunt three day hunt. You know, um, just how they go about. The the technicalities of it, but also more importantly, kind of how they decide to tell the story as it's unfolding before their eyes. I mean, it's just an interesting thing, this hunting outdoors TV, because they're they're putting together a show kind of on the fly. And they're also a part of the story because they're well, at least Scott is hunting. Um, So that I think is is. If if not unique in the television world, it's rare that that's kind of how uh, uh, an episode of a show is put together. It's it's different than other kind of reality TV where it's a little more scripted and, and stuff like that. Um, yeah, so anyway, I think people will find it interesting. They're both absolutely awesome guys and were very fun. You know, it's, it's kind of a high-pressure situation when you <laughs> invite – uh, a TV crew to come with you on a hunt with your buddies, which is what I did. And then when you get there, and you're like, um, "Yeah, these are not the most ideal hunting conditions." <laughs> and last year was just an absolutely epic year for me, pheasant hunting. I saw more pheasants than I'd ever seen in my 15 years of pheasant hunting until this last week, this last hunt that they were <laughs> that they were filming. So anyway, um, that all played into it, and. You know, there. I think they're in, kind of in the final stages of putting that episode together. It'll be available next September. But uh, Scott and Aaron, yeah, they're awesome. Uh, there'll be more about them in the show notes, and and of course when that episode airs on the Outdoor Channel, and then sometime next year drops on YouTube, we'll you know we'll give everybody a heads up about it. I'm looking
1: forward to watching it. I <laughs> well, you've heard <laughs> me talk about it
0: enough. Brandon. I know, I know. Now
1: I get yeah. the visuals eventually.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so anyways, uh, it, it it's fun. I, I love talking to these guys, and I'm just so grateful that they came and filmed it because it's just going to be, you know, frankly, it, this episode is going to be one of those things that I hope my grandchildren watch after I'm gone. Be like, look at, there was grandpa, you know, in his 50s on a hunt, and it'll just be a kind of a keepsake. So they, they're giving me a great gift by uh, putting together this episode. I can't wait to see. How it turns out. So uh if you want a little sneak peek, a little taste of it, listen to this conversation um with Scott Franzen and Aaron Ochtenberg and uh, me and Brandon without a mic in the background. <laughs> hey, thanks everybody for listening to the Reverend Hunter podcast. Please uh show your support by writing a review, um, sharing it with other people, you know, giving it a five-star rating, etc., etc. And Rand and I both hope that you are outside having a great spring, early summer, hunt, hunting down some mushrooms or some turkeys or something. So thanks again for listening. Here's my interview with Scott and Aaron of The Flush television show. How you fellas doing? Good. Warm.
2: Yeah, it's finally <laughs> summer.
0: Finally warmed up from our hunt. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, you were cold for a while. Hey, I, thanks for the flush hat. But I did get asked the other day if I'm a plumber. <laughs> <laughs> well,
2: a we get that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you go if you if you search it on YouTube, some plumbing videos will come up. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, I I mainly want to talk about storytelling today
0: because we I've you've been on before, Scott, and you've told your story of. And stuff like that and maybe we can get into your. It's, yeah. it's a short one no, yeah that's a good one but this one you know i wanna it was interesting for me being um you know it, it was one thing to f- film the hunt in colorado with those guys because that was kind of we didn't really have a director or whatever we were making it up we were just trying to get footage and whatever but this one there was like you you kind of had a your the story was evolving. You guys in your mind, and I remember uh, you like getting in the truck and running out early one morning to drive around and get footage. So you obviously had something in mind, and I want want to get into all that. But I guess the first question: This is something that occurred to me because you're the third TV star in a row that I've had on the podcast. <laughs> star, I had Randy Newberg. Stretch, okay, <laughs> and then Jim Shockey. And I'm just climbing the
2: ladder. Save the best for last. Climbing yeah. the ladder of TV stars to Scott Franzen. Watch your podcast explode after I put this out on social media. <laughs> <laughs> but
0: here's what's occurred to me in talking to those two guys whom I didn't know, and I obviously know you guys and have worked with you and, you know, cooked for you and listened to you snore and everything Smoked else. for us. Smoked some burgers, smoked some pheasant burgers. Um. I was pleasantly surprised interviewing those two guys, uh, how genuine they were, frankly. And it, it occurred to me, and I wonder if I'm right about this or not, but I thought, I don't know that a camera can hide who you really are. I think it can, I think the camera reveals who you really are. Um, And I'd love to hear you guys, if you think that's BS, or you think that's
2: accurate, or... Well, I would let Aaron answer that because he's behind the camera and gets to see, and has been behind the camera for quite a while now. He gets to see everything. So, uh, how would you answer that, Aaron?
3: Well, I, I I think it depends on the on the intention you go into a shoot with. Like if you're gonna let it reveal what's really going on. So, and then it and at that point, it depends on the camera person the operator who's doing it and the person who's being on camera, because there are some people who are extremely uncomfortable on camera. Every time it points to them, they start to act completely different. Like you meet someone in the hunting lodge or the fishing lodge and you have good banter with them and they're just like every normal person. And especially with fishing, you get in a fishing boat with some people, and all of a sudden, they're a, a fishing TV show. They're you know oh, wow. like like they take they on a persona, like, yeah, Al Linder in the boat. You know they're <laughs> like, oh look at that fish. You know like you out here on beautiful Lake Malax today, and we're using bottom bouncers. And you know I just want to thank Northland. And you're like, <laughs> what happened? <laughs> like where did this character come from? Okay, just be okay. yourself. So yeah, um, it can, but it and i guess maybe that's who they really are right maybe that reveals who they really are sure. is a, a poser i don't know
0: yeah <laughs> that's interesting because i guess i'm thinking of my experiences with those two guys i've already met i mentioned and then you scott and and travis like i i know travis a little bit and he i don't think he puts on an act when he's on he he has a little bit of a maybe he takes on a little bit of a ron cher cadence on his voiceovers you know or sure, whatever yeah. but his enthusiasm that you see on the, on the, what's shot in the field, it, that's like, that's who he is when you have lunch with him. It's the same guy. So maybe it's just the shows that work are with hosts who aren't posers. Because of course I see other shows on the Outdoor Channel and I'm like, I don't want to have a beer with that guy.
2: <laughs> right. Well, it- I think, well, getting back to Travis, you're right. I mean, he he is exactly as he appears to be on camera. And Travis wakes up excited for the day, and he goes to sleep excited for the next day. Mm-hmm. And um, and sometimes, in the, uh, especially on a hunting shoot, we just have to th- throttle him back just a little bit yeah. because yeah. he just wants to go, go, right. go. But he's, gen- yeah, he's genuine. I... I and you might be onto something, Tony. I don't know. I don't know a lot of outdoor television people, to be honest with you. Um, but I think the ones that last kind of have to be themselves on camera because otherwise, if you're pretending, that gets really hard. And also, I think the viewer will eventually see that and, and the show may lose its, um, you know, its appeal for people. Um, I think Roland Martin is a guy that comes across on camera as maybe a poser, but I think Aaron's filmed with him, Ron has, and he kind of off camera is his son, this that <laughs> as he is on camera type of thing. I mean that's just his personality, and um, but I, I think longevity comes with being yourself on the camera. Otherwise, it mm-hmm. it just I think your show eventually goes away.
0: Um, I'd love to talk about. Uh talk about storytelling in general and how you guys approach it. And we can use the episode we filmed in South Dakota as, you know, kind of as the case study for it because that's the one I'm most familiar with. But um, going into that hunt... Uh, you know, driving out to South Dakota. Are you guys talking like, "Hey, let's kind of take this angle," or we think it's going to go this way, or like, what's the? You know, you must have a pre-production meeting and stuff like that. So, how how is it before you have boots on the ground? What's what's the conversation?
2: Well, I I fill out as the producer of that show what we call a story sheet, and it gives the specific information to Aaron who shot this on when we're leaving, where we're going. How, how long we're hunting, you know, kind of the the nuts and bolts of that, as well as whom we're hunting with and their potential stories. So he has an idea going into it, um, who the characters may be or who the characters are and w- what some of their background is. Um, and then with this particular hunt, yeah, on the way out, we're talking, but you can, we could see the conditions and weather always, can add or detract from a story. And as we're driving West, we're seeing the conditions and knowing that that's going to be a a big part of the story. And then, then it kind of evolves. wouldn't you say Aaron from there. Yeah. Yeah.
3: We've got, we've got our, you know, our main points we want to cover in this story. Like uh, just the idea that you can hunt late, late season South Dakota, they extended their season. So that's a part of the story. Mm -hmm. There's Mm -hmm. you, Tony, a part of the story invited Scott there's um, Jorge, who you met, have a relationship with, and then as a part of Jorge's story, there's well, there's branches to your story, there's branches to Jorge's story, and so you go in with those in your mind, like these are the things we want to hit, and then you kind of you have to be flexible and let everything else sort of fit and fall into place. But you know, and how old is Jorge? Seventy-two. Seventy-two. So when you're yeah. going to hunt with a a seventy-two-year-old man. Just filming him hunting is going to hmm. sh- tell you a lot about this story, right? It, can he do it? You know, there's 72 year old guys that I can't keep up with. And you're just like, wow, look at that guy go. Or does he st- Is it difficult? You know, and then seeing his dog. I mean, we can get into all that, but you, you start with your main points that you think are going to be a part of the story and then let everything just kind of fill.
2: Then the, yeah. Well, I was going to say the other thing we have on the story sheet again are the, soup to nuts thing that, um, Aaron or, or the photographer gets to add to the sort of shots, you know, whether they're B roll shots or opening shots or drone shots so that Aaron kind of has a mental checklist. You talked about him going out in the morning. One time he goes, I, he wanted to get a sunrise. Mm. He wanted to get, um, critters out and about at first light. If he could all those, um, visual elements, help add to the story that we're you know potentially going to tell. And so we, we want to cover as many bases as we can in case we don't get any birds, you know, or in case there's only one bird or in case, you know, or in case sometimes you go on the field and the character, we just talked about it, the character you think is going to be real character off camera is that, but on camera they're quiet. And so you don't have a lot. So you fill in with other elements of the video that can can hopefully help with the show too. so those those are the things that I think a lot of people don't understand or appreciate. Um, and you saw it, Tony, and, and you experienced it when you went out west too. but Aaron's not done sometimes until nine o'clock at night. yeah we're we've been done for four hours hunting. Right. Um, but the night you cooked and everything, we're, we're that, having a drink and you're cooking, we're laughing, having errands behind the camera capturing that. So definitely
0: it's, not having a beer
2: no, until you're no, on the clock. No, 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 no spotted cow until he's done. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Tell me, like, one, one thing that I would think is uh, maybe a storytelling challenge, but also, I mean, a deliberate choice you guys make is you, you have two mics, you, you mic up two. And now I've noticed this now that I'm watching other episodes because I know, I'm like, oh, oh, only those two guys are mic'd. So some other guy shoots a bird, but on that day, those two guys are mic So tell me the pros and cons of limiting the number of people who are on your audio
3: in in your ear. I mean, if I could have a reliable wireless mic on every single person, I would do it. But it's just technically difficult to do that. um, Everything's possible, you know, but... um, I'm a one, I'm a one person team out there. So to make sure all the mics are working and have fresh batteries, especially in the cold and, you know, not getting lost and all those things, it's just too difficult. So we have, we can reliably run two wireless mics in a, a decent sized kit and that's just what we do. So we, you know, who, who should we mic for this walk? So we'll mic Tony and Scott for this walk and I'll, stick closer to you guys or if somebody over here out of my sight shoots a bird i'm just going to stay on you tony because you might be like oh look at that jorge got a bird over there and that's a that's Uh, a nugget for my story it's a storytelling bit uh, otherwise i pan over here i've already missed the bird so what am i doing right so i might as well just get you reacting to something so, and we just try to move the mics around and hopefully get lucky and get some interesting sound from everybody in the group at some point.
2: It would be really hard to log too if oh, you yeah. had everybody yeah. mic'd. You know, if you have four but, hunters mic, oh. it would be a it would be a real bear because people
0: bear. would be talking over each other right. and constantly.
2: Yeah. And you're yeah. and you're tra- you know when you log you're writing down everything you might use in the story. And if you've, you know, just like this, if we're trying to log say this little conversation we had for a guy like me, that took me three days. You know, it's just, it's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. And we can get, you can get the story that's unfolding with two mics. You really can. And then as the hunt evolves, we tend to um, make determinations on who we want to keep micing. If it's the same person or oh, someone new, okay. Because it might be um, their dog is f- fantastic and they're pretty interesting, or their dog has a unique story and they're you know how they interact with it, whatever it may be, or you know some guys having a banner day. Well, let's get him. Might we missed the first two birds you shot? Well, let's get the next three or whatever. You mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean I've seen the script and I want to talk a little bit about that. But one of the interesting things in the script because. The other hunter, who's not whose name has not yet been used, is a guy named John who lives across the street from me. So we were, you know, having whiskey the other night, and I said, "Well, I think you made the show because there's one little line that says Tony's friend, blah blah blah." But it must be him shooting a bird because he never had a mic on.
2: So I was like, "I think you'll make an appearance in the background." Or something. He does. <laughs> well, he gets a bird that I missed, and I missed a lot. <laughs> but I think I think it, on camera it says John. I think I said to Aaron, John got it. Yeah, yeah, or something.
0: So, that I mean, I think that's the case in most Flush episodes that I've seen. There are guys who never get the mic on or are kind of, you know, extras, as it were, or mm-hmm. background. And, you know, that's just – it makes a lot of sense to me um, as a storyteller in writing that you just uh, – when stories get too broad, they become very hard for people to track. And even – I'm editing my book right now, and there are people who come up You know, in chapter one or two in the story I tell, and then later in chapter eight, and my editor has in the margins um, remind us who this is. Right, the reader's not going to remember because they read chapter one two months ago, and then you know, book's been sitting by their bed, and then they pick it up and they're like, "Wait, who's Craig again?" page backwards yeah, if they there's don't no index, yeah. Yeah. so you got to be like craig the guy who blah 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 or like he at the end he said one thing like spell it out bwca which i spell out in like chapter one but he's like no one's gonna remember if you're not from around right minnesota like what's bwca stand for so i tell me this um What's the difference between telling a story in 22 minutes on The Flush and and how long is a Minnesota Bounce story? Eight minutes or?
3: No, most of them are between four and five minutes. Tell me the difference
0: of telling stories in those formats.
3: One's about 15 minutes longer than. (laughs) (laughs) Good answer. answer. Um, What is the difference? I mean, you're not really doing
0: a three-act structure in a five-minute story, I'm guessing. You're not building
3: tension or trying to resolve it. It's a smaller story. It's fewer characters. You can tell a, you know, let's say, uh, like an artist story. Like you want to do a profile of one of the Hotman brothers. Well, it's uh, you go, go to their house, maybe film them painting a little bit, do a quick interview with them, maybe interview a spouse or a fan, and then a bunch of shots of their paintings, and you just tell them pretty you know, the quicker story. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you're introducing just fewer characters and you don't have to work as hard to keep people's attention either. You don't have to, you know, in the flush and longer format shows, we're thinking of, you know, what do we want to save as like a a big moment? What do we want to like keep people coming back for to segment three? What's a big moment we'll hold on for them. But we also got to catch them in act one or segment one. So we got to like, Give them some good stuff there. So, how do you spread it out without making look like you're stretching or letting mm-hmm. it get dull? Mm-hmm.
2: So, you know, yeah. Do you? Well, you jump in the up? other thing too is, uh, you know, the flush is a hunting show. Yeah. So you you're on a hunt for three or four days where, and, and that's a you know three or four days of filming, and there's a lot of different things that happen day to day on a hunt. Um, that can augment the story or give it branches, as Aaron was saying, where Minnesota bound piece that's four minutes is generally a half day to a one day shoot maybe at the most. Um, If it's a full day, you know, we do two parters in Minnesota bound, um, but the majority of those stories are four minutes in length. And so part of it has to do with that element. It, It is a hunting show and we are telling upland bird hunting stories. Yeah. It's not just, you know, killing the bird. Right. Yeah. Yeah, okay, so... Which I have issues with, as you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I've got a couple, like...
0: I mean, it, may, it might be deep in the weeds for some listeners, but so be it. Um, one thing I talked... One thing I talked about two episodes ago with Randy Newberg that was interesting is he just filmed an uh, an episode of his show, um, Fresh Tracks, in Northern Minnesota where he grew up and he brought his crew and they filmed a deer hunt. He never shot a deer, but he really wanted viewers to see where he grew up. It's very different than, you know, the big game mountain hunting 400 yard shots that he takes on on his normal episodes. But he said, um, they, they struggled to find deer, but they were a ton of grouse. The problem is he, they were walking County roads, shooting grouse, which you can't do in a lot of part of the country. So they're in this kind of ethical conundrum right now of when they they're editing this episode and can they show, are they just going to show, Oh, and we got a grouse. Like it's a, it's just a sidelight to the main story of deer hunting. Or are they going to show the grouse hunt? And, and he he told me, you know, he worries if I have to spend so much time explaining, well, in Minnesota, you can walk on a, you can shoot off a, off a, a oil road or whatever. Now, In our thing, there's similar kind of stuff like, and I've already said this, uh, you know, I think in in talking about the episode on my podcast, I don't know if I did it on the Flush podcast, but like my dog caught three live birds, two hens and a rooster, and a rooster on the last day when it was just you and me, which is legal, but probably won't make the show, I'm guessing. And I wonder questions like that. I mean, obviously you're going to make choices to show people Somebody who's unsafe with their firearm, that's probably not going to be on the show, right? right? right. You're going to show people in orange. You're going to show people being legal. But then there's these gray areas, like a dog catching a live bird, that maybe doesn't show hunting in the best light, even though it's not technically illegal. So how do you, do you make those decisions on a case-by-case basis? Do the two of you talk about it? Do you have kind of guidelines? How do you do that in putting together a hunting show?
2: Well. Um, for me as the writer, if I choose the clip and write to it, Aaron, as the editor will generally put it in there. And then after we watch it, if there's an ethical issue or something that comes across we'll collectively say, eh, maybe we ought to cut that out or no, it's part of the hunt. It happens. I mean, there's, there's been a couple of shows where, um, like one for sure where Travis caught a bird and the dog pointed it. And he went down and and caught it. Now we don't. You know, it could have been a wounded bird. It was a rooster, um, and that made the show. Um, but we wouldn't in this particular episode that we did, Tony. I didn't write to any of the um, hands that were caught because both Millie and, and Crosby caught some birds, and and we hope those birds live, but we don't know. Um, but I think I did use the piece where Crosby caught the rooster mm. um, with the retreat. I think is what I used it for um, in in talking about Crosby's hunting ability and his power card, you know, type okay. of thing. Um, so so there's part, so you don't have the hard other and fast rules is what we I'm don't. asking. No, we don't. If it's yeah. illegal, we won't do, it. but I've, right. I've had a, a hunt I did in Montana and Montana is not required. Blaze orange is not required uh, for upland hunting. And the guy didn't wear blaze orange the whole shoot, the whole day. And I said, why aren't you wearing blaze orange? He goes, cause it's not required in Montana. So It's almost like he was making a point <laughs> not to wear it, but we, we used it. Sure, and then sure. we, we bring it out. Sometimes We might put a little text under there if we think it's really, you know, something that we'll get a lot of feedback on. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, so we, depending on what it is, we'll call it out or we'll just explain to people that may take the time to write us that now in this state, it is legal to hunt on County roads or in South Dakota, it's Legal to hunt a ditch,
0: or to drive around with a loaded firearm in right. your car. Right. Which uh, I'm guessing you're not going to show. Or we road, don't show that road <laughs> hunting. Which you know we didn't road hunt, but you can do the in t- some states. The t- yeah. The two weeks earlier, when I was out there with Jorge,
2: we shot half our birds road hunting. Yep. Yeah, we that doesn't make for interesting television. Right. We think sure. so. That's why more of the reason we don't show it. Yeah. You know, it's not that interesting to watch. Two guys pumpkins, jump out of a truck, truck <laughs> wham wham, well, get and their it's,
3: birds. It, it, it's. Hard to shoot. Hard Hard to shoot. Yeah. 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 It's hard to, I mean, it's, it's hard to jump out of a pickup and hopefully get the rooster to have a shot at it, much less to get a camera out as well. Right. But and like Scott said, it's, it's just not that interesting. It's much more interesting to see guys walking through habitat, working hard, getting a rooster as a payoff at the end. And dogs working. Dogs work. yeah. Yeah. Dogs working. So just to get one rooster out of road hunting or three out of road hunting doesn't look as interesting as one out of dog work and guys chatting and habitat and all that stuff. So,
0: okay. Another question I got for you is you, you kind of do this in these episodes and you and I've talked about this. We even talked about it last time you were on the podcast, this in medias race, like you start in the middle of things and then you back up. So the opening, you know, is, is a hook. It's like, Guys shooting, dogs, birds, crazy yelling, guys falling through the snow. I'm imagining what like the opening 30-second tease mm-hmm. of our episode's going to be. Is that diff- 13 or whatever, 16 years ago, or whatever it was, a decade and a half ago when The Flush started, were the episodes like that? Or is that evolved as TV has evolved that you got to capture people's attention
3: out, out of the gates? Um. How many seasons has The
2: Flush been on, though? I know you're going to ask me it's that. Like 13 is I think The 13. Flush is... Tw- this is our 13th season. I film. think we just filmed. So whatever it was 14
3: years ago when we were changing up the format of the show, used to be called Pheasants Forever Television, was a lot more like Minnesota Bound, where it was individual segments, sometimes uh, a, a through story through the whole thing. But we made a conscious decision that we got to, like... The show needs some more energy. It needs more excitement it needs adventure it it, we habitat stories are important but they're not that great of television so i agree with that so we changed the format of the show and i'm sure that was a trend in the television industry why we did that and the show we've just kept pushing that more and more and more and more so season one we tried to find those great locations but also starting with excitement and that you know the Right off the top, we call them the headlines of the show, like what's happening in the show, and we just try to mm-hmm. show the best of the best, really, without giving away the entire story right to get people hooked in and then and then you step back and start to tell the full story
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well and our our hunt, Tony, just happened to be it doesn't usually work this way, but it it kind of unfolded chronologically, yes. And Aaron and I did talk about that when we were done, our last day. And, and I said, I think I can just write this chronologically. He goes, for sure, it, it works that way. And we, we went off on the branches to talk about Jorge's story and, and your story and things, but it still was almost verbatim each day that we hunted was – now, there, some of the hunting footage was not necessarily chronological, but it was within a day of each other. You yeah. know, But the last day was the last day. Absolutely. That's yeah. the
0: climax of, of right. our hunt. Yeah. Right.
2: Yeah. 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 Of the yeah. hunt. Yeah. Of the hunt.
0: Yeah. The climax of the hunt was on the third day yep. for us. Um, here's another stylistic question I have for you. I notice in the script, you talk to Aaron in the script. Like you say, Aaron's name is in the script. You say something to Aaron. Did you do that? 14 years ago or have have is there something it, it it's my my gut tells me that um and this goes back to like my study of, of postmodern theory or whatever and breaking <laughs> the fourth wall that you're not pretending like there's not a cameraman there. Right, right. And you're just acknowledging the truth that everybody knows, and the cameraman can be part of the story that didn't used to be that way so is this a new thing and like even your shooters can maybe take on a little personality that viewers might be like oh it's aaron like i've heard him on the podcast and now scott's talking to him on the show or something like
2: that is that new Uh, well i don't know if it's new or not what i what what you saw was an audio clip in which i spoke to aaron and i used it in the script yeah um and and you brought this up earlier tony what when, when I do my episodes in the flush, I don't try and be anybody but me. And Aaron can speak to that. We've done a, quite a few together. And, you know, I will cuss if I miss too many shots. Did I cuss on this trip? Several times. <laughs> yes, yeah, yes. Several times. And, yeah, and yeah. on this particular piece, I don't remember which it was, but if I thought it helped with the flow of the script and telling the story, I'm going to leave that in there and have the interaction that Aaron and I have. Because sometimes they're, they're funny bits too, yeah. or at least I think they're funny. And so, um, but not everybody does that. I don't think Ron does that much.
3: No, I don't think Ron does it. And, uh-uh. and he's more classically yep. trained. Classically, and I hack. don't know that. I don't know that Travis does it too much either. Travis doesn't do a lot. Bill, Bill does it a little does. bit. Yeah. And and I know, I don't think. I think that's an evolution too. We haven't always done that. And I. What do you I think about it, never as a shooter? Do
0: it. What do you think about that?
3: I don't like hearing my own voice, I'll tell you that much, but um, it's fine. I mean, there are, there are those moments when a hand flushes and scares the crap out of me, and I swear, or nobody's shooting, and I'm saying, guys, rooster, rooster, guys, <laughs> sure. guys, somebody. And so I'm sure that can add a layer as well. Yeah, so, yeah. It, yeah, I don't mind it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if it works, you use yeah, it. Yeah. And I it mean,
2: does- I
0: personally love it. I think it's cool. I like it because... You know, as somebody who's on that hunt, you're part of the little community that formed for those three days. You know, we're eating meals together and Mm -hmm. like jumping in trucks together and and trying to solve problems together. Where should we go next? Like deciding where we go and who's walking where you're as much part of those conversations as anybody. So to pretend like you're not there is a little bit like me pretending like Brandon's not Recording right now.
3: It's it's like I mean, why, where'd he go? No, it's, it's like it's like why I love
0: having and people tell me this who listen to the podcast are like we love that little intro with you and Brandon like because yeah he's part of every episode putting it together and I'm not going to pretend like he's not there um, so I I kind of like that part you know and and
2: yeah well makes for, more for for me too is I, I really feel like the shooter and I are a team out there mm-hmm. and um, so I I think including them as part of the story when it makes sense exhibits that in are an act that. And this particular hunt is, you know, shooter, he made breakfast, <laughs> he did dishes. He was a therapist in the cars. I'm like, God, I can't believe I missed that shot. Or are we, we're not seeing any birds here and what do we do? And he, you know, talked me off the ledge He's in like, every Scott, case. There's
0: a thousand under those trees right, right there.
2: Right. We're seeing birds. That was before we saw birds. Suffer. We had a day where it was it was kind of yeah, slow. Yeah, Day one was yeah. slow. So, uh, I, and you're I,
0: saying, Aaron, did that guy really just fall out of the back of a pickup? Truck? <laughs>
3: <laughs>
0: that that would have been good. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: He did not because it didn't happen it, on camera. Didn't happen.
0: Didn't happen. John did not fall. Jorge didn't throw John out of the <laughs> truck. His do, his over and under weren't clogged with snow. You didn't have to true. get out your gun cleaning kit
2: to- <laughs> before we ever walk.
0: <laughs> um, let's talk about this particular episode because we can we can um, you know pique the the curiosity of the of the listeners for when that this show comes out. But what? Tell me about after we we've talked on the Flush podcast about the actual hunt, mm-hmm. so people can go listen to that and hear about how hard it was and the weather conditions and everything but when you got back here then what happened and how has it been putting that episode together
2: well we we probably talked more about it on the car ride home i think because it's just fresh in your mind and then um so we we talked about all, all the different layers that this particular story has um if you take the um Personal elements, there's your story, Tony, which is a great story, how you met Jorge, mm-hmm. and then Jorge's story as a cancer survivor. Not only was he 72 years old out hunting, he's a cancer survivor, and not only was he hunting, We then you add in the elements that we're hunting through, which is snow anywhere from your knees to your hips. And he's on snowshoes trudging through these sloughs with us, going down, using his dog to help get him up and, and enjoying it. And, and so, um, and then the weather. So we could have had none of those elements and just captured the hunt. And that would have been a pretty intriguing story. But then you add in the other elements and we both felt it was going to be a really good show, you know, or is going to be a good show. So, so, so that, so that's, we talk about that then, then within our process, I think it was probably about, a month after we got back, I started logging the video. And then um, that takes me well, probably, you know, three to five days. And then it took me kind of two days to write the script.
3: Mm-hmm. And then I
2: send it to Aaron. And Aaron looks at the script to see, you know, um, did it reflect the hunt? You know, was the story flowing? He made some um, subtle changes. I sent it to you, too, which I normally don't do. yeah, But yeah. I knew you wanted yeah. to see it. No. And you had a very good suggestion, which <laughs> well, I put in there. And... And now it's it's uh, ready to edit. I don't, Do you know when it as, goes as to, to edit? As long as
0: I get my script writing credit. Wait, writers are on strike. Writers are on so strike, I strike I yeah. Think
2: you, <laughs> got, you got a shot. I wrote one line. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I think it goes to edit in the next yeah. couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah so. in the next
3: couple of weeks, yeah. it's going to be edited, yeah.
2: And
0: then what happens? I mean, you go back and pull these, these clips. You, I mean, when you look at the script, how often does it happen, Aaron, that you see something and you're like, Scott, you missed this one piece or – or that's too much of a story. Like I think that let's cut that out and tighten it up, or something like that, in that back and forth.
3: Um, when I'm looking at the script, or when it goes to edit. When it
0: go- first at the script, and then
3: I don't make a lot of changes to the script really. Maybe a, a you know some stronger words, or so, you know say it more clearly, or that stuff. But uh, you know my skill is not in writing mine is in editing. So when I start putting those pieces together and adding music and all those things, that's when it just, you just have to feel how it's going. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm fortunate enough to have been at this company for 20 years. So I think I have a pretty good feel on how an edit is coming together. And if we need to get out of a section of talking about whatever it is, it, you know, Oftentimes I'll just do it and show Scott later.
2: Oh, you guys
0: just have that much trust in each other. Oh
2: yeah. Yeah. Once it goes to edit the editors, not just Aaron, but I would say all of our editors um, have almost i I'd say 90% ownership over what's coming out. And then, you know, there might be some things where a writer feels really strongly about something they wrote or, or something they wanted in there and they, and say, no, you need to put this back. Um, But in in this piece, Aaron, there's one part of your interview, actually, where uh, Aaron said, is this too much? And I said, well, I think we cover it here and here. And he goes, okay, that makes sense to me. And they might get into it and find out that um, it can't cover it all, so they might cut part of it or something like that. But it's in their hands and uh, from their – is it script. tempting
0: for you to walk down the hall and stick your head in and be like, oh, how's it coming? I can't used wait to, to see be.
2: it. It used to be when I, the first few I did, and now I've learned just to let it go. Oh, and, yeah. and, but there are times where Aaron, as the editor, might be on act three and he says, Scott, I think we need another line here. We need to write something to get in of this, get out of this piece and into a new piece. We're missing a line. Okay, let's, let's write it out. I'll go voice it. And then he'll put it in there. Um, and there might be some times where they don't use a track where they go, ah, you don't need that track. It's a throwaway line to just cut it out altogether because the video is just, is already showing you what's happening and you don't need a line there. So it's, it's a teamwork thing, but it's, it's kind of like when I write it, Aaron doesn't come back with a gazillion changes. He might have one or two suggestions and it's the same once they take the edit okay. and then we review it together. You know, I, I rarely do I have any major changes, but there might be times where I, if I say, ah, this music, I don't know, is there another track we can use? Or this is what I feel, and when I wrote this, a really important moment, how do we bring that out more? Or something like that. But it's nine times out of 10, it's, I see it after Aaron's looked at it, and I go, wow, this is great, thanks. You know, <laughs> let's go.
0: When in that process are you recording your voiceovers?
2: I... Um, for instance, the show that we did, I just did my track, I think a week or two ago. It doesn't, it usually, once you're done writing it, we, it goes, we have a process in which the, um, shooter who shot the show looks at the script too, just to make sure it kind of reflects what they thought the storylines were, et cetera. And then, um, I send it to either Travis or Bill and they review the script. Oh, you send your scripts mm-hmm. to and the then, other. Yeah, and then Travis the and Bill oh. usually send their script to one yeah, one another and me and type of thing. Okay. Just to get to kind of review it and and make sure, you know, for the most part, grammar wise, we're on track and yeah. and things like that. And then once it's gone through that process, we lay the track down so it's in the system. And whenever the editor is scheduled to do it, they know that the you know, the tracks in our archival system and they can just pull it and start editing we're way better at that than we used to be there used to be times well there used to be times where something might be going to edit let's say on monday and i'm just laying the track down on friday or 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 it's going or it's going to edit on monday and i'm laying the track down on monday or scott's in montana and you're going oops we don't have the (laughs) the the track track. yeah Yeah. Yeah. so we've changed our system so that we're yeah, we're a good, done. you know, 90 days in front of stuff now. Oh, okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, and then after it's put together, do you, like, have a little showing or do you and the other hosts sit down and watch the whole season or what's the what's the reveal, in internal reveal at that point?
3: Depends on the episode. You know, we're cranking a lot of television out of here yeah. with not a lot of people. We're pretty lean. Yeah operations so there are some times where you know i finish it on a friday or a tuesday or whatever it is and i send a web link to scott and say hey watch this when you have time and he says looks good and i hand it to the guy who sends it to the network call you know online the episode puts in the commercials i send it to him on two days later and he ships it to the outdoor the channel two days after that wow that's it so, ideally, yeah, we love to sit around and watch each other's stuff, but we don't always get the time to.
2: More often than not, though, I get to go into Aaron's yeah. Bay and watch the yeah. final cut with okay. him, you yeah. know, and yeah. then and then you know once it's done, there um, sometimes if and it's usually more when a Bill's or Travis's show if they go this is a really good one. Aaron thinks there's elements in it that the other um, shooters or editors can glean some information from, we'll show it to the group. And then we always we, – we have monthly staff meetings, and um, when we roll out a new season of The Flush at that staff meeting, Travis will choose an episode, and we'll the whole staff will watch it oh. to kick off the season. Oh, cool. Okay. Uh, yeah. So this year we'll probably watch his Tarmigan show because we that was the – First episode we shot last year, yeah, um we did do a cut down version of that that you saw, saw for it, pheasant yeah. fest, right. um so and the staff saw that maybe we' we'll, yeah gorgeous. yeah, maybe yeah. we'll watch something else since we saw the cut down version, but the the producer for that particular show in in the fl- travis produces the flesh chooses the episode, oh gotcha, yeah. yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, um, do you guys ever sit around or do you lie awake in bed at night and think like,, ah, what more can we?" What more stories more can we tell about upland bird hunting?
3: Do you ever? No. They're endless. Yeah. they're endless. Whether it's a a different species or a species in a different area or characters, there's an endless amount of characters. Endless. You just got to find them, really. And then sometimes you kind of go back to those characters. Like uh, uh, Bill Shirk and I hunted uh, along the North Shore of Minnesota for grouse. I think that aired last season with two seasons ago no that was same character but that was three or four years ago for more of a minnesota bound story which got into a flush i think last year i wish i could remember but like i said we do a lot of (laughs) tv yeah (laughs) so we hunted along the north shore with scott Sorensen for grouse and Uh he's been talking to bill brainstorming the next adventure up there they want to do the the kekakabic trail through the bwca with packs and tents and hike like a through hike and hunt grouse. So yeah, I, the endless, I think for the most part. Yeah.
2: I I think as long as we can um, depict the hunt as a lot of people hunt Uh that, and then the stories are there and everything else that we're, you know, we're always going to have content. And that's the feedback we've gotten from most of the people. I shouldn't say most of the people. The, the feedback we've gotten from the viewers of the show predominantly is we enjoy the stories. We enjoy the stories about the dogs in particular. And we like that you hunt a variety of different species in different states um, in similar ways that we do. And, and you're not afraid to make fun of yourselves and laugh at yourselves. We're not too serious about it. Um, because if you do, you, you know, we all, as uh, Upland hunters know, and Aaron is a hunter too. If you get too serious about it, it takes a joy <laughs> out of following oh, your yeah. dog, you know? Yeah. yeah.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that's one of the things, uh, an overall storytelling technique of our company is just tell it like it is, mm-hmm. you know, don't, we don't make it up. Right. I mean, we've had certain viewers argue with our producers. Like, there's, there's no way you guys are filming wild bird hunts it's impossible oh, there's okay. no you'd have to have five camera guys and that those got to be released birds cuz there's no way and we don't i mean not to say that we don't film on locations where there are birds released but we hunt wild birds you yeah. saw it and yeah. we just put in the work to do it and if scott misses he puts it in the show he's not gonna Axe every miss and only put in the hits, you know, and and if he falls down, he's going to put that in there. If I fall down, he's going to put that in there. And that's something we've always done as a company is just tell it like it is.
0: Well, and on that same point or on that same theme, let me ask you about the changing landscape. Because on the one hand, you've got, um, you know, more people cutting the cord, less, probably less people have the outdoor channel coming into their house through a dish or through a cable every year that's probably shrinking. Meanwhile, you go on YouTube and the number of 15 minute hunts with guys wearing GoPros on their hats and shot cams on their on their shotguns I mean I, I because obviously it's the kind of content I like so I YouTube is constantly every time I open YouTube it's like another hunt from, a, from well, even from Tyler Webster, you sure. know, or from yep. people we, we all know and like, but um, there's no shortage of content of guys shooting pheasants or whatever. So how do you um, pivot or expand your audience from, you know, whatever basic cable, it's not basic cable, is it? Whatever whatever cable it's called where you get the outdoor oh, channel. Oh, tiered cable. I don't yeah. get it. I don't get it versus and now you're putting stuff on youtube i know which is where i watch it all but then you're competing with a different kind of thing than you're competing with when you're putting it on the outdoor channel does that go into your storytelling or your marketing or how how do you see that shaking out as as this goes on
3: i don't know i mean we have a pretty solid youtube following with the show which is awesome it's you know one of our most dedicated viewership shows on youtube and uh You know, just I think just tell people a good story and you'll often have an audience, no matter where it is, whether it's YouTube or Instagram or wherever. Just tell people a good story. Like what makes on those thousand hunting dozen hunting videos, what makes you stop? Good characters, interesting weather conditions, yeah, interesting locations. And that's what we try to do with every show. So
0: yeah, it's funny. I feel myself drawn. If I do watch those uh, GoPro shows or whatever on YouTube, it's almost always like brutal North Dakota blizzard yeah. conditions. Yeah. I'm like, that's I a- I don't want to watch some guy on opening weekend yeah. in Platte,
2: you know, <laughs> shooting limit at, uh, in 30 minutes. Well, you can, because I, I watch them too, but I, I do grow weary of, you know, you can only watch somebody whacking so many birds for so long. It's, right. And there's then no go, story there's no story and so yeah. it's kind of cool at first for a while and then it's like okay, I've seen these points I've seen these flushes now give me something else and that's hopefully what we provide on YouTube um, for for our viewers and and we still have a very loyal and large following on the outdoor channel as well even though it's shrunk and and our job and you hit the nail on the head Tony is to make sure we can be as many places as we can for our viewers to capture our content. Um, and so that includes the podcast, um, YouTube, outdoor channel. We take our flush content and we rebrand it under Rooster Tales and air it on a regional level a couple of years after it's aired nationally. And so we're, we're just trying to stay as many places as we can. And in our social media Side for the plush is very active as well and continues to grow. So it's you kind of that's the changing landscape. At least in my opinion, is you have to be as many places as you can because people consume things usually in bite-sized chunks right now. Yeah. yeah. Um, and but what we've been able to find with you know YouTube in terms of bite-sized chunks is a lot of those shows that you're talking about are, or snippets are 10 to 15 minutes ours are 22 to 24 and we get a lot of views yeah. a ton of views yeah it's more yeah. of a commitment yeah. for sure but also what youtube offers that the outdoor
0: channel doesn't is people can write a comment underneath and be yep. like oh i love this episode or yep. i was i was hunting nearby there that same week or whatever yep. you know yeah
2: it's it's really and that is kind of cool because yep. people write about whether it's the story the people um uh, about where you're hunting hey I just hunted out there some people don't like when we show where we're hunting as we've talked about yes, and right. they put those comments in there but it's yeah it's all feedback mm-hmm. and we we take it all mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. well before we go um any uh, you want to tease the 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 reverend hunter audience for this episode that that'll be on uh, outdoor channel in September and then on YouTube in, what February or March I should
2: be on oh yeah it would be September because it, it'll be the end of the first run of the show. Yeah. Well, let Aaron tease it and then I'll, uh, I'll correct. Um, I
3: mean, it's a visually interesting show to be, to say the least. I mean, the weather conditions were brutal. So, you know, if you like to watch people suffer, uh, there's something there for you. Um, there's a snowblower, which I've never filmed on a flush episode before. I was going to bring that up. Um, you know, Fascinating dog work where the dogs disappear for minutes at a time under snowbanks. Uh and we shot a couple birds. So yeah. And <laughs> and Tony's cooking skills will be on uh, full display. Full display. I hope you have like sort of full display. Are you going to have
0: like clown music playing when I'm cooking <laughs> when and people, the smoke
3: is going? <laughs> when people say television is all smoke and mirrors, we got, uh, you got at least a we smoke. We got half of that equation. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Like Benny Hill <laughs> yeah, like, show or something. I would agree with everything Aaron said that that that's the first pheasant, any upland hunt I've been on where there's a snowblower. Mm-hmm. that travel around with us every day. Yes. Yeah. yes. We had vehicles stuck once or twice, once or twice. Um, and it, it probably was one of the top three toughest hunts, physical hunts I've ever been on. Wow. Um, it, you know, just with the, with the snow and probably a top three in terms of seeing birds. I mean, that, that last day, even though we'd hunted that slough the day before, what we saw what Aaron got on, on that's the part you haven't seen I can't yet wait to see it that Aaron got on camera is is the, these huge groups of peasants was unbelievable yeah unbelievable um, yeah so it it should be a, it should be a good episode and I hope I hope people like it when they yeah. watch it yeah. I hope you like it when you watch oh, it I,
0: I can't wait. I I'm super excited. I'm sure it's going to be absolutely fantastic. Millie's
2: I, pretty excited. I Jeez. appreciate
0: the opportunity of going out there with well, you there guys. Well, there you woke up. So hopefully we'll all get to hunt together again. Maybe with Aaron with a gun sometime instead of. Well,
2: oh, maybe yeah. not in the snow yeah. too. Yeah, maybe not in the snow. Oh, the snow is not too bad, Scott. I, I hear. This, I've been <laughs> hearing good reports <laughs> <laughs> the whole week before. You kept texting me, you're trying to figure out snow depth. And oh, I, I'm I looked, was online every day, yeah, and looking at the snow depth. I'm
0: looking at like webcams live from Platt, you know, which we never even ended up going to. Even no. that was another spot we could have gone to, but. And I'm like, oh, in downtown Platt, it doesn't seem that bad, you know. But there's no webcams out in the middle of. Uh, no aurora county or wherever you know we had a we had a
3: photographer who was like five eight who was gonna go but when we (laughs) found the snow conditions we had to change it up and send me
0: send the monster
3: erin erin generally takes the the hardest plus shoots he likes the
0: challenge well what a great it was so fun and i i i'll say that confessionally you know i felt like i had a responsibility to deliver a good hunt and I thank you guys both for kind of after day one. You were like, don't worry about it. Like, we'll find birds. We've done this a thousand times. We're going to be okay. There's a story to tell. You don't have to panic about not delivering the hunt with the most birds or whatever. And that was really great. And, and it's, I learned a lot about storytelling from watching you guys work over those three days and evolve how you were thinking of the hunt and how you were going to put it together. So seeing the finished product is going to be just icing on the cake. It'll be really fun.
2: When, and what you were feeling, I would say, I mean, the majority of the people, we go, yeah, we'll come hunt with you. And you come out there and they're like, crap, now I'm on the spot. yeah, <clears throat> And 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 we, it, that's when you know you're hunting wild birds because we didn't shoot a bird. For a day and a half, Tony. Right, right,
0: right. You and I. Yeah, I mean, John shot that one in Jorge's farm on the first day, right? And that was it.
2: No, he didn't get that on the first day. That was the second day. That was the last day that he got that. Yeah, we didn't shoot yeah. a bird for a day and a half. It was a long time. And yeah, and, and it it's that's when you know you're hunting wild pheasants because how many trips have you been on, or just wild birds in general, where the first day and a half you're just learning the terrain to yeah. find out where you know the birds are. Right. Right. Yeah. So you. It'll it should be a fun show.
0: Good. Well, thanks guys.
2: Well, thanks Good for having us. Time. Yeah.